You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. This is the World Football Program. My name is Sean Kelly and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for a wonderful um, Celtic ramblings. Um, those boys are very Celtic and they love a ramble, so it fits well. And uh, they had a wonderful book there called We Are Mayo. Um, anyone looking for a birthday present for me in the near future, that would be the one. Uh, brought me straight back home as soon as I saw the pictures. Um, <laughs> in two hours we've got the jazz show uh, with Lenny so uh, we'll keep going our show today is a big show we've got uh, Ruben Zagovich from The Glory um, Derek Pollock Comrade McKelvey who's from Redbacks and Nicole Sutty who's from Southwest Phoenix uh, Ladyside who are playing in the final uh, tomorrow night so Big show there. In the studio with me, as always, is the ever-reliable A-League stats man, Pete Skeeler. Good morning, Pete. Uh, morning, Sean. How are you doing? Good, mate. Yeah, I'm buzzing. I love being on the radio. It's great <laughs> fun. And over in the corner there, trying to stay quiet and keep herself out of the way, is Miranda, who's twiddling all the buttons for us. Yeah, having a go at it today and won't be speaking too much. I've had my wisdom teeth out this week, so I'm a bit, <laughs> bit chubby over here in the corner. <laughs> uh, good on you. All right, um, in news, glory, uh, draw against Sydney. If you'd have said to me before the game, I'll give you a, a draw, I'd have t- uh, taken it. Yeah, um, I think I would have too. When we were 1-0 up, I was thinking we could we could just <laughs> nick this, but no, it wasn't to be. Um, but we're playing tonight against the Jets, 6.30, so That's I'll, be, right. I'll be there. I'll be there. No so worries. Looking Newcastle forward to Jets that. Jets on a four-match losing streak, so yeah, and that, a former club of Ruben Zagovic. Right. So you know, nice little tie-in with everything today. Lots of little tie-ins along the way as, <laughs> as you go. Um, in other news, um, the Glory Women had the way lost two-one to probably the best team in the league, Melbourne City. Um, unfortunate, played really well, and then just to you know, to shadow everything, there was the um, the marriage proposal by uh, Riley Dobbs 
Robson's partner to her after the game, which just... That's right. That, that's actually gone quite viral. Even, mm. even BBC Sport, um, you know, picked that up. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose part of the story there is the young man himself has brain cancer and that was her last game, I think, for City. So, yep. um, yeah, what a, what a great story. Um, and then another little story I saw of the World, Women's World Cup in India 2022. They've announced the uh, cities for all of the games. Women's World Cup? Yeah. In India? Yeah. I thought Australia was hosting the women's Not in 22. Oh, that would probably be the youth then. Must be the youth one. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. Youth. Okay, well. in India because we lost our qualifying spot because India got automatically got uh, hosting. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. That okay, that well. makes sense. Because <laughs> I was like, hang on, did I miss something? Did yeah, no, I just saw it there when I was cruising through. And then another thing I found was the Hyundai NTC Glory Scholarship Program. Yes. Um, with Ella Lincoln, uh, Judy Connolly and Georgia Cassidy all named as scholars with one other person. I don't know who this is. <laughs> yeah, no uh, idea. Miranda Templeman, yeah. some... I've heard some, the name before. But. No, I don't know, some, somebody somewhere, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, um, yeah, good. Well, well done. Yeah, thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a bit hard getting glory players on the radio, so we figured we'd go the other way. We'd, we'd try to get one of our players, uh, our announcers on. Absolutely. Um, just doing some housekeeping. Lots of stuff going on around the world. We've got um, the World Cup qualifiers in World Cup Europe. qualifiers have kicked off. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there was a few interesting results uh, in Europe over the last couple of days. So uh, Spain got held to a draw one all at home against Greece. Uh, ditto France were held at home to a draw against the Ukraine. Uh, Netherlands lost 4-2 to Turkey. Uh, Croatia, obviously finalists last year, uh, sorry, last World Cup, uh, lost away to Slovenia one nil, and Hungary and Poland played out a, a three all draw, a bit of a bit of a cracker there, and and England got five uh, nil uh, win over over the Giants of Moldova, yeah, uh, uh, San Marino, oh, San Marino, who yeah. actually still do hold the record for having scored against England in a World Cup qualifier after seven seconds, which it's on YouTube. It's a brilliant bit of video because the commentators still going through the. You know, the and this match is brought to you by blah, 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 and England have conceded. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, I, yeah, I'll point out they did go on to win that one 7-1, but it's still just a, a great bit of footage just to see Absolutely. one errant back yeah, yeah. pass and seven seconds in England's down to San Marino. Yep, and we've got a, a full card today in the local matches for the MPL. And for those who don't know, there's been a, a change with the... Glory versus Floriot game over at um, Crazy Domain Stadium in Forestfield. Yep. Um, it was a 7 p.m. kickoff. Um, thankfully, have obviously clashed with people the, have seen yeah. since. Yep. And the, the, the game there kicks off now. The main game kicks off at 1 p.m., which will at least allow Ruben to get to the, the game and yeah, see exactly. his old team and teammates. and Both of his old teams. Yeah, yeah, well, both of his old teams in action. So I think it was good, good work by whoever made that happen. Yeah. Um, but we've got a full card elsewhere. Yeah, we do. So uh, this week it's uh, Perth at home against Inglewood, Armadale away to ECU, Joondalup, uh, Balcata hosting Bayswater, Sorrento at home against Gwellup, as you said, uh, Perth Glory against Florida Athena, and Coburn City. For some reason, Coburn, we get uh, three home games in a row. Uh, we're hosting Rockingham City. Okay. So that's all good stuff. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after this with uh, Ruben Zadkovich. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. 
four great locations around Perth. We have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. The World Football Program is a community program run by volunteers. Just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. We are one, but we are many. Listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Okay, well, it seems like young Ruben might be busy. Um, we're just going to keep trying to see if he'll pick up his phone, but with the changes in the fixtures, yeah, it's quite, um, possible, it's he's quite possible he's driving. his schedule has completely yep. gone upside down on him. <laughs> so um, we'll see how that goes. Look, I thought it was interesting. Did some research last night, found a, a Ruben Zadkovich <laughs> tribute, and uh, I thought, oh, this would be good. And then it was just highlights of the ball reaching Rose Ed, and I thought, hang on. <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a couple of videos out there, um, um, a couple, uh, which, look, I, I won't link them directly on our Facebook group because no, some of them have a bit of colourful language. Not family friendly. Yeah, yeah. but if you, if you jump onto YouTube and look for, you know, JFC as in J-A-Y-F-C, yeah. there's, a, there's a number of um, good videos, A-League related videos, yeah. uh, humorous. Yep, yeah. but uh, and, and one of those was. Um, I don't know what's happening. Are we good? Yep, yep. Um, was a, a two footer on Vince Lear, which I think endeared <laughs> him to everybody in in the glory. Exactly. Yeah, top and bottom. Okay, we're just working out some things here. Um, keep going. 
Yep. Okay. So, um, yeah, the JFC, if, if anyone wants to take a look at the JFC, sorry, we're sorting out some technical issues at the moment. Um, but, yeah, we won't link that directly. Be aware that there is some fruity language at times going on there. In the meantime, while Miranda's mic is going, yep, and we're all good. Yeah, I think it should be good. Ruben, how are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? Very well, Very well thank thanks. You. Ruben, um, been a fan for a long time. Um, I don't know, it's a bit like Faulty Towers. I think the, the limited amount of time you played for the glory sort of made the, the memories better, but um, you only played 13 games, and I seem to remember being a real fan. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't play too many games in purple, but uh, loved my time here. And then, yeah, unfortunately, had uh, in the injury, so yes. you know, kind of put a big damper on that. But, um, but no, I loved my time in purple. Sure, even up short and sweet. Yeah, and I think the one thing that endeared you to us all was the uh, 17 seconds and, <laughs> and a two-footer on Vince Lear, which yeah, it's always nice to see. Yeah, it's nice to be remembered for a referee's mistake, mate. It was an all-ball tackle. <laughs> that, that's exactly how I saw it. I remember at the time in the shed, that's exactly how we all saw it. So, yeah, we're with you, it brother. It was laughable. Actually, it's a straight red card, but um, but I only got one week suspension because the appeal process was successful, so I only got the, the one week suspension. So, yeah, look, it's nice to be remembered for a referee's mistake, but... Uh, it was a, a good moment for the boys, one that we all had a good chocolate anyway. Yeah, uh, look, it's um, it was just some good memories. And, and just going back to some of the highlights, I thought, you know, um, a wonderful career in the A-League. And it's um, it's not just the A-League. I look back through your, your English clubs, um, you know, QPR, Notts County, Derby. Um, you're well-travelled, but, you know, you must have had some great experiences at those clubs. Oh, for sure. I mean, I always feel um, I feel very lucky and, and humbled to have had a professional career in the game. I mean, I started playing when I was six years old, and you know, back then it's just about playing football with your brothers and retirement. You fast forward, you know, ten years, and you're, you're making your debut in first grade at sixteen, sixteen, and then and then it kind of just kicked on from there and keeps going. And when I look back now, there was um, you know so many amazing memories to. Absolutely, and then, and then you know, in the prime of your your career, um, when you really should be enjoying your football, yet you had a horrendous injury that um, that killed that career, and you, you managed to rebuild yourself as a coach over at Broadmeadow. Yeah, so the, that 
that was an interesting time because obviously to to get an injury in a game, you just think, yeah, no worries, I'll be fine. 27 years old, and I'll never forget the surgeon, you know, coming over there with a different person in the surgeon, basically just said, look, it's schedule, you'll never play again. It was a, it was a harrowing experience just to have that taken from me, but um, like I said, I still think, I still consider myself lucky to have had a career that I had anyway. And then that moment was kind of like the catalyst uh, for me to, to go into coaching, and um, it was something that you know, I hadn't really thought about too much previously, but the way the leader at many teams, and you know, from an early age, I was the captain and the leader back in the 1960s, long gone walls and NFL days, so um, it felt like a natural step, and yeah, I just, it's fair to say I love it straight away, and went into coaching here at Perth Corner for a year as the assistant to John Gibson with his team, and then was uh, was fortunate enough to get a head coaching role at Broadman and Magic in the Newcastle. Um, NPL and um, all these other NPL and, and have success there and you know and, and achieve some things because that club, which is a pretty big club, yes. to expect the success was a really good thing. So I mean, we made the last sixteen in the FA Cup, um, won the championship, won the Masters Cup for the first time. It was forty years of being in that competition against teams like NPL one thing from Sydney and Melbourne. So uh, we had we had an amazing experience. We had scored the most goals in the competition all three years. I was there. Um, so we, yeah, we, we had a lot of uh, really good moments and a really good club. It was a great uh, starting point for my coaching career. Yeah, and then you, you've come over to the glory and um, obviously you've come in at a, a very good time, I think, for someone who's in that youth development space. Um, how important is it for you as a coach to have a real and tangible line that these guys can and will play first team. You've already had Riley Wallen and Giordano uh, Colley playing um, for the first team. So it's for for a young player coming through that must must be brilliant. Yeah, it is, and I mean I'm lucky in terms of the the coaching staff that I've taken over in this space. You know, Richie Garcia and Steve Gary and Terry McLean. Uh, you know, all all people that I'm close to in football and. You know, they've already instilled a really good, um, you know, culture and environment to this group. So in, in that regard, and there is a really good group and they're just trying to look and build on that. But I've said it a few times to, to some of these young boys that have never had a better time to be at a melee club, especially at first glory, because you've now got a head coach who has just stepped up from this space and he has um, his eye, you know, on the prize and he's here to the grindstone, so to speak, in terms of, which players are ready, and so it's not just the ones you've mentioned, but you've got Nick Darren Greenwell's made an A-League debut, Luke Bodden's made an A-League debut, um, Ron Wallen's made an A-League debut, Steinsy's made an A-League uh, Steins debut, I think there's been like five, six, maybe more already in this year, so um, that's, a, that's a really positive thing for the club, that some young Western Australian talent uh, are being uh, blooded into that environment, and um, it's just a matter now of you know, you know, for me in this space, it's looking who's next and trying to make sure that the, the next crop that Richie looks at um, have the right mentality, the right attitude and, you know, the right technical and technical ability to, to, uh, to make their opportunities count when they do get them. Yeah, look, and there certainly is some some quality there. We, we've mentioned Collie, you know, uh, before he was joint best player in the league last year, along with uh, Dean Evans, who um, he comes <laughs> comes up against today. So, I mean, there's there's some really good quality coming through, and it's it's not been rushed into the first team. He's he's been given a little 
little shakes of it, and and I think it's important that the the players have a a, a real an, an actual understanding that that's that's their destiny. Yeah, that's right. I think the ones that make it, you know, if I'm honest, they've they've got that drive within them. So we often speak about you know trying to, to motivate and inspire these guys, and but at the end of the day, that fire kind of comes from within for the ones that make it and stay there. So we're lucky that we've got you know a really good group, and there's some guys in this you know NPL space here, and while you think that have that drive, have that desire, and that and that burning side. So I feel like. You know, with the right guidance, you know, the right coaching and, you know, like in football, you always need the opportunity to kind of like sliding doors. So you don't know when that door's going to open, so you just need to be ready. So I think we've definitely got some, some guys there that are kind of right there now pushing for selection. And that's a nice candidate for Richard to have to be able to have, you know, uh, a full A-League squad and um, and he's that, uh, an NPL squad or an NYL squad that's, uh, that's putting their hand up to be selected. So... Yeah, I think um, I think we're in a good space. And for you as a coach, um, obviously there's a, a very fine line between development and winning. Um, and as a, a development coach, the development of the players has to be at the forefront of your mind. But you know, the other part of it is you you don't want to get relegated because having the glory playing in the state league is really not an option. Correct. So that's not an option for us. Um, you know. You're right about it is an interesting space in terms of what comes to those, you know, development or results. And I'm a huge believer that even in, in the early stages, way down in the, the starting our academy under 12, 13, obviously the focus is on development and, you know, improving their skills and their ability. But I don't see why you can't do both. I really don't. I feel like part of the person's um, development, especially mentally, uh, as a footballer, you still learn good habits of winning, how to win why it's important to win, what it takes to win. Uh, I feel like that's a massive part of one's um, journey and development. So we kind of put a huge, uh, well, I certainly put a huge emphasis on both. So, yeah, we want to we want to develop you know, skillful, talented players, but we want to develop players with the right mentality to actually be successful footballers, and that's absolutely. And I think the other thing is that when you've got these players, I mean, a lot of them... Th- it seems to me, anyway, from my, my association with them, is that some of these guys in the 14s and 15s think, right, I'm in the Glory Academy, I've made it, that's it, I'm I'm King Billy. And um, that's not the case. I, I mean, you, you really need to ground these, the, the players out, that they're, they're very, very fortunate to be where they're at. And as you said, it's their drive. I, I talked to Dino Gilbich recently about his um, climb, and a lot of it was really about just how bad he wanted it and how hard he, he was prepared to work to get there. Correct. And I mean, Dino's a really close friend of mine, actually. We share a real common, uh, common work ethic and moral compass. So he's someone I'm really close to. But I think our journeys were similar, you know. I certainly wasn't the best player in the team growing up. I certainly wasn't the one with all the talent. Um, I didn't have everything, you know, birthdays and Christmas presents were combined to register to play for the Wolves. And I was like that for four or five years. So, you know, we did. We went without. We were a family that, you know, very working class. And so those principles of actually coming and, and working really, really hard and going and getting what you deserve um, was instilled in me from a really young age. So I try and teach that to this group at the moment that, you know, it's going to come down to how much you want to be in a hard work rather than your ability. So um, 
I mean, that the ability obviously helps, but it's not always the best kid at 15 or 16 to make it. Quite often, the one who's not the best to realise that he has flaws and then he's willing to work super, super hard and dedicate a lot yeah. of time and sacrifice, you know, time and effort, money, you know, parents that are willing to sacrifice their time and effort, money, um, they're, they're usually the ones that make it. And the difference between the ones with talent that make it and the ones that really work hard is the ones that work hard often stay there and the ones with talent come and go. So, I'm trying to instill that into the boys about, you know, making sure that they're they're willing to go that extra mile and sacrifice, you know, a lot of their, because they do, they have to sacrifice a lot of their, you know, childhood memories and time, you know, where they can be with friends, having fun down the beach, doing other things, they've got to sacrifice that time if they want to make it, so, you know, yeah. it, it won't happen unless they earn it. And I remember seeing a quote somewhere from a former Arsenal player who said, you know, um, developing a talent in football, there is only half of half of the equation. The other half, as, as a coach for you, uh, and in yourself, is developing a decent human being who contributes to society. So it's a, it was quite a poignant quote for me at the time, but um, it well, really is what you're trying to do. It's such a true thing. Like, we speak about the process of, you know, at the club, we want good people first and foremost, and then you want Today you, you've got Floriot. The, the game was originally penned in for 7pm. It's uh, now a one o'clock kickoff. Um, that will allow you to go watch the uh, the glory game against your old club, the Jets. Correct. So I'm actually, you know, like most guys in Australian football, wearing a few hats at the same time. So yeah. I'm the, the second assistant for the A-League squad. So we moved the game uh, earlier so that um, not just myself but other support staff and the players can get along to support the A-League team. So... Mate, I'll be uh, here at 9 o'clock in the morning to watch the 18s and the 20s and then coach my team at 1 o'clock and then head straight to, to A-League for the set-up and the warm-up and take the boys through the warm-up uh, on pitch and then up in the, up in the coach's box uh, on the radio and then mate, by the time I finish today, well, you know, we'll be looking at a big long day on the Saturday but I wouldn't want to be doing anything else, mate. So hopefully yeah. we get, hopefully it's a 12-point day. 18s, 20s, first grade in A-League would be a nice, a nice Saturday. It'd be very, very nice. Ruben, look, thank you for your time today and, and also yeah, your time as a player with us. It was tragically cut short. I would like to have seen you play a few more myself. Yep. Um, and I, I like what's happening at the Glory with the youth and it's very, very important that there is that tangible pathway through and it's nice to have someone who's lived the highs and the lows because as we talked about balancing out players, injuries um, can cut careers short and no one knows that better than you. Yeah, correct. And, mate, like I say, I'm very, um, I love the club. I love it here uh, in my time as a player. I'm back now as a coach. I love the people involved. Um, 
Uh, I love everything about working at Australia and I love the setting up at Forty So now it's just about working super hard and, and doing my job and making sure that I'm contributing to, to make the club a better place. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. All, all the best. Thanks, Ruben. Thanks very much, guys. See ya. Ruben Zakovic, um, yeah. yeah, former Glory and Jets player, but uh, this afternoon, one o'clock. Um, he's a glory man this afternoon, yeah. He, he is. Well, he's a glory man all day today, and I think yeah, it's great that he's he's got that um, affinity with the youth, and that you know bringing them through is important. But it's also his his story is great because he's he's been over to the UK. He's yep. lived the life of a professional footballer. Yep. He's had a great career in the A League. It was cut short by a horrible injury, and he's now reinventing himself as as a coach. And it just shows that how much he loves the game. That, and, and he's still quite young too. He's only thirty four. So uh, you know, it, barring the injury, you'd it could have been him and Castro still out be there. playing. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Look, and he's great. You know, I think it's it's. Um, I think up until now, the glory has always developed their youth by getting them to other clubs. You know, yeah. it's, it's, the league is littered with former glory youth. Yeah. Um, and it'd be nice to see those coming through. It's nice to see players like Riley Warland and um, a whole host of others coming through. You know, uh, even at 16, you know, to be playing right back for an A-League side yeah, exactly. is just yeah. absolutely enormous. But they're, they're all coming good. And I think, you know, not just them, but the ones who've come in from over east. And Diagostino's doing really well. Um, what's his name from South Australia? Um, uh, Armiento. Armiento, yeah, he's doing really well. Yeah, and it's, it's great that we've got that quality coming in from over east as well. But and, and I think that possibly explains some of the Glory's performances this season because we've had games so far where we've looked like absolute world beaters and I've gone we're gonna we're gonna take the title no worries because yeah. I have a tendency to get a bit overexcited at times after one good <laughs> performance uh, and then we've had you know like a three nil loss to, to Western Sydney and things like that so and and that that is explainable by the fact that well to a degree uh, that we do have so much youth in the squad which can be a little bit more erratic in their performances than you know perhaps older older oh look consistency is the key and, yeah. and when you're young you you are inconsistent because yeah. you, you experiment you're trying things but you can see every game that there is that improvement we still need um the back line needs shoring up we we got um is it gary oh got, yes that's yeah. right. i meant to look up his stats so yeah, yeah. Uh, gary a uh, former melbourne victory player well hold that against him well he's know. ours now wait um, wait and see but and also our, our um swiss lad who came in or german who came in who got injured and broke his arm and sebastian um uh, I, i'm I, unaware of this one yeah, he's been been a signing in the making for a long time. COVID held up his transfer in, yeah, flights in, and then he's gone and got broken his arm and he's out. But there's Lackman. I, I like Lackman. There's a lot about him. I yeah, like. yeah. Um, and Asbro's brilliant. Yeah. But I don't know. There's just something wrong in that back line. We're not quite as tight as we should be. That's true. The, the goal that Bobo scored the other day. Someone should have had their body in the way. Of yeah, it, exactly. You know, it's just yes. about positioning and. A little bit more smarts, but having said that, Liam Reddy was brilliant. Oh, he was he was absolutely phenomenal in that game. Some, yeah. some absolute belter of saves. I'm not sure what's going on with the the um, the goalkeeping roles at the Glory because no. he seemed to be uh, Richard Garcia seems to be happy to use two goalkeepers. We don't seem to have a, a primary and a backup as it was. Yeah, um, you know, Tando's had. I think I think it's pretty much a fifty fifty split in the games between Tando and and yeah Liam I think and I think Reddy made his his run the yeah. other night there. 
it would have been a very, very different game if he hadn't been on, on the ball. And well, we'll see who's in goals tonight. Yeah, well, we will do, but I think he, he's certainly earned the right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're going to go a break, and we'll be back after the break with a Comrade McKelvey, who is in the State League Standing Committee for the Women and with Redbacks. So we'll talk to him very shortly. Not too long to go now. We aren't just the people who mow your lawn. We aren't just the people who paint your houses. We aren't just office workers or taxi drivers or even the family next door. Underneath it all, we are fans. No matter when, no matter where, we'll be there. Time to let your inner fan out. No guts, no glory. Hi, I'm Penny Tanner-Hoth. It's season 34 for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are the longest-running football show in Australia. Morphed from a sports program way back in 1987. The hosts and voices may have changed... But the content, filled with passion, news, characters and history, has not. The World Football Team are all volunteers and we appreciate you listening in. 2021 brings a new look with a new logo, website and podcast. Thanks for sharing the journey with us on Radio Fremantle. If you like us, become a member of the station. Find a membership form on our new website, The World Football Programme. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. My name is Mohamed El Mabani. I'm a coach at Punchbowl United Football Club and I coach and assist with three teams. Ever since I was seven years old, I've loved football and it's more than, t- it's like family. Not just as in that you're a teammate, like you're my best friend, I got you, I've got your back, whatever you need, I'm supporting you. You carry that chemistry throughout the whole season, throughout the life and... Outside soccer as well, we're always together. I coach and assist with the under-14 girls, and for them, I mean, I've talked to them about this before. Imagine if we had the World Cup in Australia. Coach, they'll be amazing. They'll be so awesome. He puts a lot of dedication into the mind, saying that I can do this, and I'll be there, and I wish to be there. And us Australians supporting Australia in our own country, it will be unreal. Get outside, Australia. As we said, uh, Pete, lots of football this weekend. We've got um, the men's state league final. That's uh, right. Uh, this this evening at Macedonia Park at five o'clock at Southwest Phoenix against North Perth United in the amateur final, uh, and then in at quarter past seven at the same venue is Mandurah City against Olympic Kingsway in the state league men's night mm, series. Seen final. both of those sides play. That's going to be a great final. Yeah. Um, they'll be up there and and around the the winners of that league. I'm talking about winners and leagues. Um, very hard to do it without talking to, to our next guest, which is Comrade McKelvey, who's won his fair share of them. Good morning, Comrade. How are you? How are you going, guys? I'm doing pretty well. Good. Um, 
How's things going for you in the world of football at the moment? Seems like a very, very busy uh, time for anyone involved in women's football. Yes, I guess, uh, like everybody else, running around trying to get things sorted before the start of the season. So, yeah, not any less busy than any other season, mate. No, but the thing is that with Redbacks, there comes a, um, an expectation and, you know, you're you, you trendsetters uh, amongst women's football. You've got um, teams in NPL Metro 1 and 2. Um, I believe recently you've, you've hosted the team from Newman. Yes, we did. I actually wasn't involved with that too much, but I know that they came down and played and had a good time, so, yeah. Oh, it's important, though, that we make those connections yeah. with um, the country regions and, and, you know, as much as I know you weren't involved with it, um, it's just great that the club are, are taking the, the initiative and inviting those teams in. Um, you know, it's very hard for country teams to get good opposition, and I know that's what you would have provided them. Yeah, absolutely. I think we went to Kalgoorlie last year as well to play at the end of the season. And, um, yeah, look, it's just good to give them a little bit of an idea of what the standard is like here and to give them a bit more experience when playing against, you know, local teams, see what they sort of need to aspire to. And also, you know, if there are players who are finer there, you know, uh, extremely talented from those regions, maybe they'll push on it. I know there's a few... I think one from the Kalgoorlie team is now involved with the NTC, which is great. And, um, you know, there's a few girls from down south who, who always uh, troll out for the NTC. And, you know, it's good to see the country regions being represented. It's a pathway for them. And it keeps players in the game because they, they can aspire to, to higher honours. Absolutely. Um, now, you, your club is looking really, really healthy. Um, you've just had a, um, a new coach appointed to your NPL side um, in Carlos. Uh, Vega Menu, is he? Vega Mena. Yeah. yeah. Um, it sounds, it sounds very um, foreign and very um, <laughs> refined. So is he a Brazilian or is he... Um... Oh, no, Chilean. Um, okay, background. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's he's come along and he's stepped in and he's, you know, hands-on and they've been working really hard. Uh, didn't have much, didn't have many practice games before the night series, so probably weren't as fit going into that. But they had some, I thought they played okay. You know, they started to hit form towards the end. Um, but, yeah, they're still working towards hitting that first game and being ready for that first game. Yeah, it's really no different to the men's uh, competitions. So everyone wants to to win something nice and early, but there's no point in peaking and winning the the night series and then fading away. Um, you know, April premiers is is no good to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I think I suppose in the past uh, with women's football, there's always been the same clubs winning all the titles. So it's almost an opportunity for clubs to go out there and try and get a, a trophy of some description. That's starting to change, which is good for the game um, in that you're seeing different names in finals and and different clubs being competitive. So, you know, we obviously, obviously has made the final and they hit the ground running in night series and they've been very solid and, and done really well, come from behind win in the semi-final to, uh, to, to get to the final. So that's been fantastic, you know, to see other clubs getting back up there and, 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 and fighting out for the title, not just the same clubs every season. 
No, it's good because, uh, I mean, mum obviously, um, very, very good side, but Fremantle are not that far behind. Um, the, the women's is, isn't now longer a, a two-horse race between yourself and, and Queen's Park, so it's good to see that there are those clubs developing. Perth are, are coming on strong, um, you know, so... The MPL, there was a lot of talk before the MPL came in about how it was going to change the game. Do you, do you think it's changed the game for the women's game for the better? I'd say, yeah, I don't think you can ever say definitely yes and definitely no. I think it's a bit of both. I think the standard for the top players and the environments they're going into are much, much better than they used to be. You know, clubs are employing sports science. They've got conditioning coaches. They've got physios. All the stuff that, you know, the MPL men's and state league have had in the past, now the women's can go into, and that's fantastic. A lot of younger talent is being unearthed uh, and given an opportunity to play at the top level. That's also excellent. But on the other side of the coin, you know, there's a, I think, you know, with the numbers coming through the junior ranks, you know, everybody's scrounging around for, for, you know, talent for players, and um, that's, you know, that's probably something that needs to be addressed going forward. Are we bringing enough players into the game at the bottom end? You know, at the at some point, there's just not going to be enough talent to go around. I think you can probably see that. You know, there are four or five really strong teams and then other teams are looking for talent you know, and trying to catch up with the rest and that's that's going to be an issue going forward I think that you know the clubs and Football West need to work on yeah, and I think you know, when you, you look at clubs, you're you're an exclusively female club, which would have a great draw for um, for girls wanting to play the game. Um, a lot of the, the clubs have a mixture, and they they don't con- well, they tend to concentrate more on the men's, and the the women's side has been a, a second cousin. Um, hopefully, that improves because I think you know we need to be encouraging more girls into the game. Yeah, absolutely, and. Yeah, it, look, it is an advantage at the moment because we can just focus on, on the women's. Um, and having said that, that's not to say some of the other clubs haven't done a great job. I think um, Mum have done a really, really good job and, you know, Perth is showing uh, that they've put a lot of focus into their women's team. So, I, you know, I can't say that yeah. none of the men's clubs have oh, no, done look, a good and, job. And, but, yeah, we uh, want across the board. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Balcassar have always done it well for both. So you can't, yeah. yeah, you know, they they really are the, the model that everyone really needs to aspire to. But, you know, there are, as you know, some very good reasons why you'd want to keep the girls separate. Um, you know, playing within a, a, a male environment isn't good. Um, a lot of the club's facilities are still very male-centric, um, not inviting when a, a lady goes into the, the change room and there's a row of urinals and, and, and one, one closet toilet, you know? Yeah. And look, and I think we're starting to address that. A lot of clubs have gone out and are seeking funding for facilities. I know, uh, you know, as a, even though Freo are mostly, you know, especially around um, Warhol Park, were mostly women's, but they've gone out and got um, funding for upgrades to their facility, which will be fantastic for women's football because I know they you know, they've only got two change rooms and hopefully, you know, there's a, a massive improvement there. So clubs are going out and finding uh, funding to make sure that the environment for female players is better. 
Um, you're still involved in the State League Standing Committee. Um, how's that going? You've you got challenges in, in there, or is it um, all working well yeah. for you? <laughs> we're, you know, we're working hard. Um, the MPL, it's, uh, since the MPL was put in place, it's been a sort of sit back and obviously with COVID and everything, sit back and see what happens before we make any more moves going forwards. Um, now we're starting to look at and see, you know, OK, what are the next issues? We, we, we're, we've improved the top end of the game and, and players from 23s, and you'd imagine hopefully in the future the next junior age group would be underneath the 23s. There'll be a good pathway, but what about, you know, what about the next clubs coming up, you know? What about the State League? There's no... At the moment, it's State League, Amateur League, Metro League. They're all essentially the same. They're all just a team. Yeah. There's no reserves. There's no structure in place for those clubs. Um, how do they step up to the next level? If and, if and when we have promotion, relegation, or whatever it is that's decided by Football West, those clubs need to be ready, and we're not quite there yet, and... Um, we need to start looking at that. But then, you know, as I said before, the other issue is we need to start looking at, you know, the bottom end of the game. The boys do a very good job about bringing lots of numbers into the yeah. game. And I think the problem with the girls is uh, a lot of numbers are coming into clubs that aren't necessarily involved at the top end of the game. Um, um, and I think we... You know, they're coming into clubs it. that are... Okay. When you look at it, though, not everybody's going to be a Sam Kerr or a Hannah Lowry. So there's, there's going to be, um, and, and there needs to be a space for um, someone who just wants to go out on a Sunday, play play with the girls, have some fun, and just enjoy the game just for the for the pure enjoyment of playing football. And I suppose that's that's the area you're looking after, the, the social aspects. Absolutely. But we can damage that aspect of the game if we're going to those junior teams where they're all social and going, we're going to take your three best players and then you've got to go and find some more players. That's how we mm. lose things. Yeah. Because if they can't field a team, the players, especially at the junior age, want to play together as friends. You know, where do they go? They might leave the game. They might go to Aussie rules. They might, you know, at that end of the game, you know, if we don't have enough players and we're you know, trying to recruit from junior teams that are sort of more in the social sphere of the game, it can actually damage the number of players coming through. So oh, we need to grow the number of players going through and we need to cater for both, you know, the growing number of people who want to play at the top end of the game and also the number of players who just want to play fun. Yeah. And I think some of the things, you, like you said, about the State League, the Metro League um, and the Amateur Leagues are all single-team um, sides. In some ways, that, that could help that environment. Um, I imagine you've got people playing in your um, Metro 1 and 2 that are interchangeable or stepping up or down or just playing with their, their friends just for the fun of it? Um, our Metro, well, the Metro 2 team is definitely a social team. Our, our, uh, we put our 18s in the Metro 1s. Um, they've been competitive doing that in the past. So um, that's just a decision we've made as a club. And our amateur league team is also a younger, uh, most, I think mostly under... Uh, under 18 mm. team so we do that just that they because those players want to play at the top level it's more about them getting experience playing against uh, senior sides and they you know more than hold their own I think they finished second last year the Metro team finished second last year so they're more than holding their own against 
senior women's sites. Yeah, oh, absolutely, um, they are. Um, yeah, so... And going through your website, I've noticed you, you do a very good newsletter. The, the March one is uh, only just out. Um, Tony Mullen, the president, is um, his signatures at the bottom of it. But some really <laughs> good, no, some really good things there. Um, you know, some life memberships. Uh, Carla Bennett, who has been a, a great servant to the club over the years, and Emily Dunn, and another name there, Nicola Williams, who's who's now at Lazio. So, you know the. It's amazing. And don't forget, Tanya Oxterby also, was also coaching in the, yes. the FA Super League. So yeah. It's nice that um, a little club yeah, from, from WA can have such a large reach. Yeah, well, yeah, it's been, I mean, a lot of that has got nothing to do with a lot of the people who are there now. I'd say Neil, Neil Bennett, Carla's dad, is massively involved in the, in the media side and, and he's probably responsible for most of that side and, and getting the club out there but you know Tim Tim was the coach of the club for years and you know, a lot of those players Lisa Devanna Colette McCallum Tanya Oxtoby all played for him at Redbacks um, uh, he's probably the, the, the driving force to get it to where it is now he's taken a step back so that he can enjoy his retirement apparently yeah and uh, um, and yeah so other people are coming on board now to, to help drive things forward so but isn't that always part of a progression as a club? You, you have people like Neil that, that, that do all that groundwork and set up the foundations. And, and now, he, as you said, you can sit back and, and look at it grow in his retirement and actually really enjoy it. Uh, not that he hasn't enjoyed it to this point. But, you know, that, that's the whole point. And the, at some point... Um, Comrade McKelvey will be able to take a back seat and just watch what's going on. Uh, but hopefully the replacements coming in are just as good or a, a step above so that the club's always improving. Absolutely. And that's just, I suppose, with the MPL, it, the clubs have had to be better um, on the admin side and the Redbacks have grown massively in the last, even the last year from that aspect. Um, and, you know, there's there'll be a little bit of a changeover with new people coming in, but also with coaching and, you know, uh, bringing new coaching talent through, you know, Peter Rakic uh, promoted from, you know, 23s, took, yep. uh, 23s at Queen's Park, took Melville to the title last year. That's fantastic. You know? mm -hmm. We want to see more good coaches coming into the game. Um, but, I, you know, the other big thing for me at the moment is uh, can we get good coaches into the younger end, end of the game? Um that's where the talent is, and that's where it needs to be nurtured. And I don't think necessarily that we have enough good coaches in women's football at the bottom end of the game. It's a lot of dads yeah. coaching teams, and, and I've watched a lot of the junior games, and a lot of them aren't, aren't conducive to developing good players. So no. that's probably a big concern at the moment is, you know, some of the boys' clubs get good coaches because they've got the MPL all the way down, and you've got to have licensed coaches. That's not the case in junior girls football and that's something that needs to be looked at I think going forward I think across the board it needs to be encouraged I mean there's lots of um, community clubs out there that have got willing mum and dad coaches but really yeah. they, they need to be trained and you know the, a, a decent mum or dad coach can be turned into a, a good um, coach with some training and yeah you know, there's there's been some wonderful dad coaches along the line. Neil Bennett just <laughs> comes up as one, but there's plenty of others. Um, and you know, the, we've we've always managed to produce footballers using that mechanism. But when you look at Portugal, I think they have the highest level of um, professional coaches 
across their entire game. And, you know, school sides and under sixes and under sevens all have at least a level three coach. And I think that, that is important. But the other side of that equation is that a good coach isn't just someone who's learned out of the book how to coach. They've also got to be a good communicator and have an affinity and drive to teach those kids. And, and a lot of the mum and dads do. Yeah, absolutely. And But we need to make it accessible. And I, I know that's been looked at. I think there was an article came out this week with uh, Ron Smith and Trevor Morgan yeah. looking at the, uh, the structure of, of coaching courses and, and, and having it available online, which probably would be... You know, for for the coaches like us who who are committed to the game, it's great. We'll go to a course, take a week off work. You know, but other people, mum and dad coaches who could do a good job, they're not necessarily going to take a week off work or two weeks off work to complete a course. No. So, no. can we make it more accessible to them? Um, I hope so. I hope that they do changes that will make um, a lot of resources available to coaches, um, so we can improve it across the board. That's probably the you know, if we want to get better players, we need better coaches. Absolutely, we do. No, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and also then going into it, the, the men's leagues at the moment, there's been a announcement made by Football West that the NPL is a pro league and that the state leagues are amateur leagues this year, which has an impact on other things like the national registration guidelines. Um with the NPL women's, um, is that a, a pro league or is that an amateur league at the moment? I don't know. I remember this being brought up, so yeah. I can't really answer it with any, oh, well, with any it's a simple, uh, authority. It's a, it's a simple formula. If if you've got one player that signed as a professional, oh. it's a, pro, a professional league. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it is a pro league, and I think, yeah. yeah. I think because if there's one, I think there probably are maybe one or two players. Then I think across the board it's a pro league, and then yeah. everybody else is a, as an amateur league. Well, the, the league itself is pro, but amateurs can play within that, that league as, as an amateur status. But um, yeah. I think, you know, it seems there's something we shy away from in the men's game and probably even more so in the women's game is professionalisation of the game. And I don't think it's a bad thing. You've already spoke about the sports scientists and the conditioning coaches and the yeah. other things that are happening. That's all part of a professionalisation process. Absolutely. Uh, but also, you know, clubs need to look at and this is where I think the challenge for all clubs is different challenges for all clubs. But you know, if, if you're a women's only, women's only club, you've got to try and find you know sponsorship and funding to to run the club. For the men's side, it's like you need to find more funding if you're running two top level teams. But you know, how does that split go? Um, at the moment, I suppose the cost for getting you know to pay a player in the women's leagues probably isn't going to be anywhere near as high as. The men's at the moment. How is that going to change over time? And you know, as we go to more professional outlook, so these are going to be challenges that all the clubs are going to have to have to look at in future. Like, I, there's no doubt it will get more and more professional as we go along. But um, yeah, like with anything, there's going to be challenges for everybody. Oh yeah, and look, it's a never evolving, never changing game. Um, but some of the, the, the things that have happened over the years, we've not been able to answer. Um, I'm glad that, you know, now that we've got um, two guys running our um, the, the TD side of it for Australia, we, we'll see some changes to the NPL model, which I think everyone agrees has failed. But um, it needs to be an, a uniquely Australian um, solution, really. Oh, look, and this is, you know, I think it's been mentioned even in here with the Women's League. It's like, 
yeah, we there are models all around Australia of you know, different ways that different states have done it, but we are uniquely West Australian as well. Um, we don't have the regions like New South Wales where a whole region can run its own football league mm. and then have a representative team. Yeah, We've got a lot of clubs in a small, you know, in certain areas have a lot of clubs and other areas don't have enough clubs to, to meet the demand. So... No. How do we how do we deal with that? Especially when we're talking about MPLs and you know structuring that and competing for for junior players. How do we? What's the best model for WA? Not just for Australia. So no, absolutely. And when you look at the metro area, I mean, we're talking from Mandra to Alkamos, and then throw in Southwest Phoenix, who you know compete in in those metro mm-hmm. leagues. It, the distances involved are horrendous. Just just within that one league. Oh. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, we went to play Southwest Phoenix in a friendly, um, which we do every season. And I hat off to Stephen and, and the girls that come up and play every second week because that is not a um, <laughs> that's not a small amount of time <laughs> you're talking about. It's about six hours on a Sunday to to play football. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, so, look, it, it takes an, a, an enormous amount of drive to to do that. And I think you know. Th- these are the things that they don't face in other states, but it's the these are also the things that make us stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we can find the right solution, I mean, we for the women's game, I think there are things we can avoid that have happened in the men's, and that's where we always need to make sure we keep looking at learning lessons. Um, the men's implemented the NPL, you know, as, as you've already said, you know, it's considered a failure in some aspects. We can learn from that in the way we go forward with women's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think geographically, you know, there's a lot of clubs out there who are saying we need representation in regions. Um, you know, the Armadale, Piara Waters area, um, I know Armadale are, are really keen to be involved at the top level. Um, Ellenbrook, uh, a growing area, you know, there's nothing north of uh, Redbacks at the moment, Redbacks and Balcatta. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing in the Queen's area. At the top level, there's nothing in the Queens level uh, uh, area at all until you get down to ECU Gendler. So, um, what are we doing to fix those issues and, and new growing areas like you know Auburn Grove and Coburn mm. and all that sort of stuff? It's it's we can't stick with the traditional model of hey we've, they've got all these strong clubs here. So, but what about the other areas as well? We want more players from more areas playing the game. Yeah. Um, so we can't expect, you know, and I know at the moment there are a lot of players who travel far, a pretty long distance to play football, even in the junior levels. Yes. And that's probably not healthy for the game either. No. All right, look, we could keep going on answering yeah. all the, all the yeah. questions and, and all, solving all the problems in the world, comrade. Really thank you for coming on this morning. It's great to hear from you and that, you know, the, the all-female club in this state is, is in a really healthy state and, and thank you and your, your team for doing so. No problems, mate, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. Okay, Comrade McKelvey. Um, yeah, look, they do a wonderful job out there at Redbacks, always have. Um, yep. And yeah. them, them and... Um, uh, as they say, it's a, it's a unique uh, unique club as well, being, yeah. being female only. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But them and Balcass have really been the, the, the backbone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, QPR, you know, where they were. But, um, you know, Queen's Park were also part of that triangle. Yeah. Um, but, no, there's now new players on the on the field. And, you know, we've got... One of them in Mum in the final. That's right, Mum and uh, and Belcatta uh, tomorrow night. So, yeah, you know, and and Belcatta obviously knocked out um, 
Northern Redbacks as well. So yeah. I don't know whether Conrad will be going for Belcatter or whether he'll be going against <laughs> Belcatter in the final or if he'll just be indifferent to it. I think he'll just be celebrating that women's football is in a really good state and just <laughs> enjoying the game yeah. as, as a neutral. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, we're going to go to a, a short break and we'll be back after that with our EPL man in the know, which is Derek Pollock. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. I want to succeed so badly because we have such a great team and the fans, I think that we owe everyone around us something. Everyone is bought in. I think the togetherness within the squad is huge and it just makes you want to put everything on the field when you know someone's putting a big tackle and you're like, I want to put in a, a tackle like that and I want to play for her and I want to win for this club and this, these fans. This team is special. This team is ruthless. This team is family. This team gives everything for one another. And this team, no matter what, will show you heart and passion every day we get on the field. pretty sure i could hear you there pete (laughs) (laughs) i think i could almost taste the beer when i was um yeah that'll be us tonight mate (laughs) giving it some um all right there's football happening all across the planet and um with the epl on a two-week break whilst we got the international uh, break on and i think what about eight or nine games to go seems like a poignant time to talk to our next guest which is derek pollock about the epl derek good morning how are you yeah, very well. Thank you, Sean. How are you? Good, mate. Um, two weeks off and then a mad dash to the finish. Um, we'll start with the bottom of the league. Do you see any real changes to the bottom three? Uh, any changes to the bottom three? Uh, I think last time I was on, Miranda asked me about that one, and I said if, if, if anyone was going to escape uh, relegation from the current bottom three, it's probably going to be Fulham. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to dip my neck out and, and continue with that one and say... Fulham probably will. I think the um, I mean the key factor there is is the final game of the season. They play Newcastle, who are currently above them by about two points and yeah. suffering and, a horrific injury list, and and also playing and in absolutely atrocious football. A state of implosion. I believe there's lots of commentary coming out of Newcastle about how he's lost the dressing room, um, and you know that sort of stuff is a is a cancer within a club. Mm. And yet Mike Ashley is still sticking on him and saying, "Well, look." If anyone's going to get us back out of the championship, he's your man, and everyone else is going no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, look, it's 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 a total state of disrepair. I mean, the fact that they they were playing the other day had two strikers sitting on the bench, didn't start with either of them, didn't bring either of them on, even though they'll lose the game against <laughs> Brighton, who they're sort of competing with. Uh, it's yeah, it baffles, just baffles you and leaves you sort of 
yeah, just mystified as to how he thought losing a game, you're going to get out of that without a strike at the pitch. It's it's just beyond sort of comprehension. And I think Steve Bruce is going to be a little bit uh, dismayed with, with some reporters, given that the other day um, there was a report released saying that Ashley's sticking by him due to his loyalty towards Mike Ashley. And, <laughs> and if there's one thing that's going to rile up a, a, a Newcastle fan, then... Um, that's, that's definitely it. Well, the only thing that would rile up a, a Newcastle fan would be appointing a coach who played for Manchester United and coached Sunderland. So, yeah. Oh, hang on. That's Steve Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but apparently he grew up a, a Newcastle fan. So, you know, there was there were some banners in, the, in Newcastle City in the town the other day saying... Fraudy Geordie, so you know that was very much the, the opinion on hindsight. I, I know quite a few died in the war, black and whites, and um, you, they don't mention the monkey hangers at all. And they, you know that 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 is is near enough, um, yeah, blasphemy and everything else, treason, whatever else you want to do. But you know. Uh, they don't even they didn't even go shopping in Sunderland. Never, <laughs> never mind going coach them, you know. So yeah. yeah. I, I think that they're um, they're in a whole world of hurt at the moment, and until the love affair between Ashley and uh, Bruce is broken, I think they're they're destined for for much much worse and, and coming to Division Two near you soon. Yeah, and Mike Ashley is going to have to pay off a few more people like Rio Ferdinand to come on and uh, and give them some some good press, even though it's full of lies, <laughs> like Ferdinand did um, last year or the year before. Absolutely. Now, the the top end, obviously, um, City are going really well, and it's it's basically yeah. theirs to lose. Um, the team in second place is the team you tipped their manager to be the first one sacked this season. He's turned it around. <laughs> How good are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I'm definitely going to put my hand up and say that one was wrong. Although, having said that, I'm not giving uh, Solskjaer full credit. You know, I mean, it, it very much. Yeah, and I've not watched that many United games this season, but every time they play, it's very much a case of let's just put these three really good players on the pitch and they will do something and that will win them the game. It's, As it's opposed all... to... Well, I mean, if you look at... I mean, watch Man City's, City's games and it's very clear that there's sort of this systemic approach, the tactical plan, there's an idea on how they're supposed to play as opposed to let's not let them score and let's let these fast guys run run very quickly at the goal. Yeah, but it almost seems like it's happening despite him, you know? It's, <laughs> it, as far as the coaching well, goes, yeah, I, don't, I don't see what he's doing, yep. and it, it, they're succeeding no matter how hard he tries not to. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's very much, yeah, that's very much the, yeah, the point I was, I was trying to get across is that, you know, if you put Fernandez, Rashford, and, and you know, Martial on a pitch together... Yeah. And let the let the opposition come on to you. You know they will leave space, and those very good players will will create something as opposed to any real coherent style or plan. Yeah, mm. um, Leicester just plugging away, um, but they are really a dangerous little side, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Brendan Rodgers is yeah, yeah, very tactically aware manager, um, and that's really really coming out. You know his ability to just um, swap swap styles on the pitch. You know, they can start with a 4-3-3. A they can sort of pivot to sort of a 4-4-2 diamond to take advantage of, like they did against Liverpool, where they were sort of just getting bossed, really, for most of the game. And then there's just this 15-minute window where they sort of change shape and change style and just tore Liverpool apart. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, they're suffering a pretty horrific injury list and, and somehow managing to just churn their way through that, unlike last year where 
again, last year they were in a very good position, suffered a pretty horrific injury list again, and just and couldn't fight their way out of that one, but they yeah. seem to be doing it this year. Mm. But Roger's ability to coach has never been in doubt. I think it's just finding the right vehicle to do it with. And, you know, uh, Liverpool, such a big machine with so many expectations. Leicester is a different type of club, and it seems to suit him much better. Yeah, I think he, he does thrive quite well on, on getting sort of young players who listen to him and just do what he asks them to and, and will learn. Um, and, he's sort of, and he has that Leicester. You know, most of his players, like, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Wilfred Ndidi, Soyuncu, uh, Madison, Barnes, Tillemans, they're all young young players and they're all happy to just sort of go with what Leicester, um, Rogers rather wants them to do. Um, and, yeah, so that definitely seems to have hit the, um, yeah, the competition or the team rather where he, you know, he can thrive. And I think despite how disappointed they probably would be to go out of the Europa League to um, Slavia Prague, um, I think it's probably actually a good thing for their season because it means that they can then um, have one less competition to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, sitting there quite nicely is uh, Chelsea after they ditch Fat Frank. Um, they're, they're going okay. Um, I think their report card would read, could do better. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. When At the time Frank Lampard was getting sacked, I thought, look, it's a little bit harsh. But just the biggest indictment, I think, on Frank Lampard's coaching is just how quickly... Um, Tuchel has managed to turn things around and how quickly they look like they know what they're doing yeah. and you sort of go wow okay <laughs> really didn't have this going well did he you know and in hindsight you can sort of go right okay yeah it's pretty clear um, that this was um, obviously just poor coaching yeah absolutely and then you've got the, the chosen one at Tottenham who seems to be uh, as he was anywhere else he's been enigmatic so, so was it, what was that, sorry? The special one at Tottenham. He, he's still carrying on his <laughs> enigmatic career, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you heard um, Hugo Lloris um, in his post-match um, conference after the Dynamo game, but just threw half the squad under the bus, really, um, in, in, in the press conference. And if, if that's coming out from some, from the team captain, yeah. then, yeah, there's really some problems in, in Tottenham. And, and it's coming a little bit quicker, usually, than what it usually does. Usually... You know, Mourinho comes in, gets his team playing his way, has this, you know, very successful second season. And by the end of the third season, it's, you know, toxicity has reached peak peak um, sort of capacity. Um, but this is happening sort of a season earlier and without the sort of usual success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been a, a, a style that he's used in his coaching is to get the best out of a player. You've got to berate them and abuse them. And I don't know if that's really paying dividends. Um, and, you know, he's got a wonderfully talented squad there. You know, I think I saw a thing the other day about um, Harry Kane and how he's destined to break the, the league scoring records because he's his age and, and what he does. Um, but, you know, despite that, um, they're still not where they should be. I think the year Leicester won the league, that was Tottenham's to lose, and they did. Um, and really, after that, they've, they've really not reached those heights again. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right with that. The season that Leicester won the league, I mean, that was very much a stars-aligning moment for Leicester where every single possible title contender all had an off-season in the same season, which doesn't yep. usually happen. Um, and that was how Leicester managed to sort of skate through Stephen Bradbury style. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think... Yeah, with Tottenham, it's bizarre. I mean, I, I think people, because Pochettino got the team, to, in my opinion, overachieve for so long, that kind of became where people expected them to be. Yep. Um, which, which it was probably 
yeah, a bit erroneous in my opinion, where if you look at all of the financial metrics in the leagues, Tottenham have been about fifth or sixth for, you know, basically, you know, for the last decade or so. Um, and if you look at wage budget, there's been a lot of studies to show that wage spend is usually the pretty mo- the, the most accurate um, sort of indicator of success. And yeah. again, um, you know, Tottenham, with their wage budget under Pochettino, were, were, were sort of fifth or sixth. Um, so the fact that he was competing for the title every year shows that they were overachieving. And, um, and I think he just, yeah, he really lost out where they just didn't sign anyone at all for about 18 months yeah, and that just it got to a point where yeah they just they got tired they got tired of the same message they didn't have any freshness coming in and Pochettino was really kind of failed by the ownership more than anything else yeah now talking of um, overachieving and you know the wage budget um, lying West Ham sitting in fifth um, you know <laughs> Moyes has done a fantastic job he was he was doing okay and then he brought in Jesse Lingard and that seemed to be the, the catalyst for their their um, projection upwards. Um, I'm happy with 49 points, safe from relegation. So um, <laughs> anything else is a bonus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, West Ham have, have, have had a phenomenal season, and David Moy is getting back to what he does best, really, which is um, yeah, just getting a team to play sort of counter-attacking football, and they've done that really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, that Arsenal game, I don't know if you watched the Arsenal game, Sean. Did. but yeah, it was horrible. It's as, it's as if there's just there was two buttons, how we normally play and the absolute most defensive effort we could possibly exert, you know, and to do that against a team like Arsenal is just, I mean, I don't want to use the word cowardice, but, I mean, it's basically up there, you know, you get 3 to <laughs> up, and this is a team that can really be got at defensively, and to just sit off them and let them just have the ball and just attack at will was just uh, phenomenally misguided, as right. you can for me, to be 3-0 up at half-time with a team that was really buzzing and, and doing all the right things, and then we put on Fredericks and Noble. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that changed. We, we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> but uh, that's very much the West Ham way, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't yet found out a good reason to bring Noble onto the pitch yet. And, uh, and, and so using the Noble button was, was probably not the right, the right choice by, by boys. No, look, but again, like... Just keep attacking them, and, and Arsenal are defensively suspect. I don't know why he chose to just let them have so much of the ball. No, I think Noble's the, the last of a dying breed, one club man, yeah. um, and he's getting his little moment in the sun every now and again. But you know, I think that that cost us. Um, sitting in seventh place, last year's champions, Liverpool. When the wheels fall off, Liverpool, they really do fall off, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're only about. What is it, five points off the top four, though? So despite all the sort of coming apocalypse claxons that have been sounding, um, they're not actually as bad. But, but yeah, like you say, they, um, I think they've averaged... I heard this stat quite a few weeks ago, and they've lost a few times at Anfield since then, so it's probably, mm. probably more now. But they were, they were averaging about a point and a half less a game at Anfield this season than last season, which <laughs> over the course of a season really says a lot. Um, but again, it's it's just I don't know if Jurgen's just totally unwilling to use other players. But Mane played I think it was something like thirteen games in about twenty two days, which was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. you can see they're tired. You know, I don't know how many times Mane and Salah have have been rested, but it's however many times it is, it's not enough. And then to have Minamino playing well at Southampton when he's a Liverpool player and, and you've got these two, you know, on their last legs every single week. I just, yeah, it's it's baffling. And then Simicas, I haven't seen him this season. No. So I just, I don't know where, I don't know where he's gone. Has he gone back to Greece? Or, you know, or has he just entered this sort of 
void exactly. where players exactly. enter at Liverpool where you don't see them for nine months and then suddenly they're Andy Robertson style best left back in the world. Yeah, they're in the twilight zone. That's all you can say, really, isn't it? Um, Everton again. So much promise at the start of the season, and now they're just starting to slide back into mediocrity. Yeah, so I, this is the, the um, what's happened with a lot of clubs this season. Really, is that because there's just so many games and so few days off? If you don't have a deep enough squad, you know this is one of the reasons why City have just been able to be so consistent. Is because you can rest Rodri, you can put Fernandinho on, and because he's played so few games, it's like having a brand new midfielder. Whereas Everton, you know, have a fantastic first eleven and not really anything else after that. And so when you know when you get an injury or two or players are a bit tired. Um, that just level of inconsistency suddenly comes to the fore because they just don't have the depth to rotate through players. No, they don't. Mm. So, come the end of the season, who do you see taking up the the Champion League's Championship League spots? Uh, well, one, I'm, I'm curious to see what the formulas are for how many um, European places um, one league is allowed. Cause I, I feel that the maximum is five. Yeah, but if if the top four don't include Arsenal and Liverpool, which they probably won't. If Liverpool then win the Champions League and Arsenal win the Europa League, which isn't likely, but is, is distinctly possible, mm. um, you know, will there be six teams in the Champions League next season from England, or will fourth place miss out? I, I don't know how that, how those maths, that math sort of gets accumulated at UEFA headquarters. But uh, in terms of your question, though, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be the top four as it is now. Mm. I can't see that really fundamentally changing, unless there's some form of catastrophe injury-wise with one of the clubs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that one. And the the European leagues, um, now getting, as you said, down to the pointy end, where do you see those actually rolling out? Uh, do you mean like Champions League in Europa? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think um, it's, it's hard to look past either Bayern or, Bayern or um, Man City for the Champions League. They just look, look very strong. You know, um, Bayern played Stuttgart the other day in the in the Bundesliga, which was uh, Stuttgart are, are having quite a good season. And and Bayern had a player sent off at ten minutes into the game. Twelve, uh, Twelve minutes later than that, it was two 0 to Bayern <laughs> with ten men, and by half time it was four 0 So they're looking pretty imperious at this point. Although they have been at times defensively suspect, but in the European competition, uh, it's very hard to look past. Um, and City, for all their um, yeah, for all of their you know strengths. Um, Pep is will probably just pull out another. Let's play this style that we've never played before in you know in history and and bottle it against in the semi or something. You know that that will probably happen again. So Bayern's my tip for the Bayern or PSG for uh, the Champions League yeah. um, and the Europa League. Yeah, you know, the Europa League looks very interesting because it's not some of the usual suspects, but there are quite a lot of uh, historically successful European clubs in there. So you know you've got AS Roma who. Um, whilst they, their European form has led to a downturn in their Serie A form, uh, they you know they they can pull it out in the cup competition. Um, and Arsenal as well, who at times look phenomenal and at times look like they are tenth in the Premier League. Um, yeah. and, so, and so you know, but you know, but then you got Ajax as well. Ajax um, a few years ago were in the Champions League semi final. They were about eight seconds away from the Champions League final. Um, so yeah, look, it's hard to tip in the Europa League. There's a lot of clubs that. Depends on which club rocks up on the day yeah. um, for, for those for those games. Derek, Derek, speaking of the um, international side of things, I see that uh, UEFA's adding a third tier international cup next season at club level. 
the Europa Conference League. Do you know anything about that? Have you got an opinion on that? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, so it's going to be. It's just going to be. I mean, they've decided that the Europa League isn't seen as prestigious enough, and so somehow they think adding another one will somehow another fix one that problem. Yeah. Which, yeah, another one below it, which is bizarre and just leads to a you know not only is a con, um, fixture list congested enough as it is there'll be another um, level uh, I think it might be my theory behind it is that you know there's a lot of the the big clubs are trying to push for some kind of super league yep. um, and, and, and people are going well if, if Liverpool get into it every year regardless where they finish if Juventus get into it every year regardless where they finish how, what do we do with, you know, like Celtic? What do we do with, you know, Slavia, Prague and clubs like that? So yeah. I think by creating another competition, they kind of, kind of push everyone down and create further stratification um, of clubs within European competitions. Yeah, it seems which, a weird. I'm sort of looking at the, um, the, the rankings and the associations for it and like England, Spain, Germany, Italy, France all get one team in it and then, you know, Kazakhstan gets three teams and Israel gets three teams in it. You know, it seems like a yeah. Bit so it's of a, a way of, of a, a yeah. way of UEFA feeling like they're going to satisfy the lower ranked European yep. nations, yep. Um, whilst not doing anything to fundamentally alter the inequality <laughs> and the further widening inequality gap within European football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, it's interesting. Um, just going back to the um, Champions League. It's the one that really seems to have evaded Manchester City. How important is that to the club that they, they actually get one? Um, or are they just happy to keep winning the, the domestic league um, and have teams like Liverpool and Manchester look down on them for not winning the, <laughs> the Champions League? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't think it's any, any secret that for um, the City Football Group, the Champions League is the one single trophy that they prize above anything else. Um, I mean, it's the same same over in, in France where um, Didier Deschamps, I mean, not so him, him sorry, Laurent Blanc, yeah. um, can be sacked despite winning two um, consecutive domestic quadruples, but not winning the Champions League, and, and, and that's just not good enough. And, and it's <laughs> you know it's not quite that level in England yet where you can no. still win the league and not get sacked, but you know it's it's yeah it, it will be deemed as a failure for Pep if he can go this long. Um, without winning, yeah. without winning the um, yeah the Champions League. Although in, in in fairness to Pep, over over historically he has been uh, very very unlucky. Um, you know, Inter Milan knocked his Barcelona team out several years ago when a volcano erupted and Barcelona had to drive a bus from Barcelona all the way to Milan to play. <laughs> and that volcano, the volcanic ash, had cleared by the second leg, so Inter could fly to Barcelona. Um, and so, you know, and they, they lost on aggregate or on away goals, rather. Um, and then, you know, you had the um, the Liverpool one a couple of years ago where there was no VAR and, and, and there was two decisive goals that City scored or could, should have scored that, that were ruled out. And then the year after when there was VAR and there was this marginal offside call that knocked City out. Um, and then last season when I think it was a... I mean, this is... I think it's fairly objective that there, there was two sort of fairly fairly obvious... Uh, mistakes made on VAR where a defensive player was literally tripped up by an attacker <laughs> just off a goal and wasn't called and then someone walked over the ball and it wasn't offside somehow but yeah anyway yeah, but, uh, yeah so I think he's been quite unlucky in, in his in his career yeah, don't get regard. me started on VAR. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on VAR honestly I think it's yeah it's a blight but there you go um, look Derek 
I think it's tough at the top for Man City. Um, uh, another domestic league in, in the pocket may not be good enough to, to save him, but we'll see what happens. Um, thank you for being on. Thank you for, for keeping up and, and talking about the, the EPL for us. Um, love your insights in the game, mate. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks. So, Derek Pollock, um, EPL, lots going on there with the last few games, but uh, there's always some interest in that, that yeah. league. Um, talk about local news. I've just seen a, a thing from the local, well, from the Western Australian Police Force. Two former Perth Glory players were amongst their graduates last week. Oh, really? Yes. Um, PC Carla Bennett. Yep. And PC Devon Lindemann. Um, they're going to continue their career kicking goals but this time with WA Police okay yeah which is quite interesting because Lindemann was a goalkeeper <laughs> not a footballer well I was going to say anytime you hear the expression kicking goals you know it's coming from someone with an AFL background oh, not a yeah. footballing background no yeah. footballers say you're kicking goals they, yeah you know, but no good luck to them I mean, the, the thing is it's a, it's a very good career and it's um, it's great to see that you know the police are able to recognise that and yep. yeah there's lots of Jobs out there for people, but yeah, nice to see them in that space. So congratulations to both of you. Um, it, it's also worth mentioning while we're on the uh, subject of local news, uh, Richard Crider. Uh, yes. Historian, life, yes, has been membership. elected as a life member to Football West. He's, yep. He wrote the Paddocks to Pictures book, Absolutely. which I have a copy of and is yep. a fantastic no, read. Great historian of the game and, and I think very deserving that uh, he was given life membership and also uh, Hans Mayer, who was the president of Canning. Yep. Um, he's been involved in the State League Standing Committees for a number of years. Uh, another great servant to the game, and he was also honoured with a life membership. So uh, congratulations to Hans. He's, he's a top bloke. Yep. Knows, he knows and loves his football. So, you know, they're the sorts of people we have had involved in the game, and it's nice to see the game recognising them with the life memberships. There was the uh, Football West... Um, AGM was held on Wednesday night, same night as the football. Yep. Um, which I think was, uh, they got bagged out for doing that, but the, the date was set long before the... Um, before the glory fixture. Before the glory fixtures got changed well, and rechanged and everything yeah. else. And, well, no, with, with AGMs, they're not the sort of thing you can just move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the biggest commentary, I think, and the, and the worst thing that happened was the venue got changed. So, we, you know, for a long time out, it was going to be at one venue. Then at the last minute, it was changed with the minimum minimum amount of notice given, <laughs> which didn't really sit well with people. And it's, just, yeah, mm. I'm not saying it's poor form, but it's not the best. And I think, you know, when, when you've got people that are quite happy to go and stick the boot into Football West, it's just another way of just opening up that door for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and let's see, it's Ufak Tule's birthday today. Sorry? Ufak Tule, he's the... Wellington oh, yes, 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 sorry. I've, yeah. I've, I rarely hear his name pronounced, but I've seen it written yeah. down and I've <laughs> often wondered how to say that yeah, on the well, radio. The interesting thing about him is um, he was in the Youth World Cup squad, yep. got injured and was replaced by Ruben Zagkovic. Ah, there we go. <laughs> it all ties back. Pierre Litbarski was the coach at the time. Yep. Yeah, so that was interesting. All right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after the break with uh, Nicole Sutty, who is a goalkeeper at um, Southwest Phoenix. No worries, we're back after the break.
West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. G'day. I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoe, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. All right, we're leading into the um, State League Women's Final tomorrow night. Um, that's between Southwest Phoenix and. Uh, UWA Netherlands. So that's at uh, five o'clock uh, tomorrow night at Macedonia Park, same as the final Saturday, and then at seven fifteen. So it's a double header. Seven fifteen is the NPL final between Balcata and Mum FC. Mum seem to be getting everywhere these days. They do. Yeah. Um, we're just having some troubles on the phone, so we'll be talking to Nicole Sutty, who is a player in that uh, that team. At Southwest Phoenix, I, I believe her husband is the um, or partner is the the coach of the side. So um, we'll be talking to Nicole very shortly. I think we're talking she to her right, right now. Nicole, good morning. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, congratulations on making the final tomorrow night. I think um, you and the, and the boys are also in uh, a state final, so it should be a, a good night for Bunbury. Yeah, very, very exciting for us down here, um, for both of us to make um, make it through. So, fingers crossed that we can make it a double. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the, the state of women's football down in the southwest? It's always been very strong. We, we've had a, a couple of people come through from from the area, um, you know, Tash Rigby and Jenna Onions come to mind straight away. Um, how How is it down there? Oh, it's definitely um, growing, which is really, really great. We've got some women's, um, we've still got the women's competition, but we've got some junior girls competitions um, in the junior league um, now for girls only teams competing, which is mm. fantastic. It's something that we didn't have, um, you know, five years ago. So it's definitely um, on the rise, which is fantastic. And yes, we are. Um, producing some players that are making NTC squads, which is fabulous as well. Um, so hopefully we just keep ticking the boxes and slowly um, progress from there. 
Yeah, I've been involved in, in country football myself um, through Albany, and I, I know things like Country Week are a massive thing for the, the regions. And um, just how important has that been in your development? Um, country Week something that the girls and the boys, um, but speaking girls specifically, <laughs> yeah. um, they really, really look forward to um, attending. So it is great to, to get them um, together, the, the best in the region together, and compete at Country Week. And they, it's something that they really, really look forward to. And um, from there, I, I know this year we, we had a couple of girls scouted and, and those um, two girls have made the NTC under 13 squad. So... It's um you know it's definitely a positive for the region and I know that um, they really really love competing in Country Week. Yeah, oh, definitely. Look, and I think um, for clubs playing in or t- the teams playing in that highlight of the year, um, and it's just some of those friendships that you make um, last a lifetime. So you know you you get to meet people from Kalgoorlie and you know the Kimberley. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Oh, that's right. Um, I think the oval. The overall experience is what um, most of them go for. And obviously you get um, some great coaching along the way um, and playing against different teams that you don't usually play against locally. Um, but the experience as a whole is what I hear um, is just great and, and it stays with them for a long time. So, so there's definitely a positive now, one of the things I know when, when I was a player and I know when my, my boys were playing, we always used to look forward to the, the Bunbury trip, um, highlight of the season going down there. But um, for you girls and, and for the boys, it's, uh, it's an every other week trip. Uh, <laughs> is that, does that work for you or against you? Is it a bonding experience or um, you know, how um, does it affect a team? Yeah, it, look, it, it just gets... Um a little bit hard towards the end of the season, um, but we are prepared and we, we know what what's ahead of us, um, and we definitely don't mind travelling to play um, in a better competition, so we take all of that on board, um, and we just do the best we can, and you know, we, we know what's ahead of us, so we know that every second week we're, we're in Perth, so we are committed to that um, before we enter, we know what's expected, um, and yeah, we just we just keep plugging along and do the best that we can. So it's and not really an issue. Yeah. No, you, you get used to it. I mean, I know I was travelling up yeah. several times a week from Albany to, to Perth when my, my youngest was playing. So I do know what it's like. You get used to a, to a lot of time on the tarmac, but, you know, after a while you forget about it. Um, yeah. But how does it affect you in the night series? I mean, obviously, like the, the night series games... Um, You've got to travel up, which is fine. Play a night game and then travel back. What? Just in a, coming up to Perth yeah. and back in the same day. How has that impact on a player? Yeah, night series um, has been a bit difficult with the late games. I mean, we had an eight pm game and we've got girls, three girls from Margaret River. So mm. um, the late fixture definitely um, poses a little bit more of a of an issue, but. Um, you know, there's always options of staying over, um, sharing car loads, um, so you're not travelling on your own. Um, just try and have the best preparation that we can. Um, and knowing what time the fixture are, you know, you can mentally prepare and um, get yourself organised. Um, so it has been a little bit difficult, but we've actually really loved um, 
being in the night series and having those games has been just great for us to get the experience that we need and um, the girls to learn. So it's definitely been a, a bonus for us in the night, having the night series this year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you said you got three girls from um, Margaret River, which is obviously yeah. uh, Tash Rigby's um, hometown. Yeah. Home, hometown. <laughs> um, so yeah. hopefully you've got some good quality there. Where else are the, are the girls coming from to, to play for Phoenix? We've got some. You obviously got three girls from Margaret River. We've got another um, another girl near Margaret River also. And then a couple from Buffleton. Um, and then generally around the Bunbury area um, is where the base is. Yeah. And, and how's Southwest going as a club? I know the, the men's side was um, state league till a couple of years ago, um, but they're now competing in the, in the amateur leagues and obviously doing quite well. So um, is the club on the rise? Yeah, we're going, we're going really, really well this year. This year is our 20th year, um, and we're really hoping that the boys can um, get promoted. That's, our, that's the, the goal for the the men um, and we've got a new coach in Nikki who's been just fantastic in um, promoting that positive culture that we really stand for and we want to develop um, and obviously with the Firebirds we have established that positive culture you know this is our fourth year um, consecutively now in State League Division 1 um, so positive signs and um, for the trials we had um, the biggest number of girls trialling for for the Firebirds this year to date yeah. so definitely yeah positive signs um for the club and just really looking forward to both men and women this year and how we go mm. and is the is the aim to push for the women's npl uh look it would be great it would be great for the region but um again it's the depth and having to field two teams obviously once our girls reach an age and finish school they're off to perth um to university and then they go to Perth clubs, which is great, and we, we want them to play at higher levels. So that's, um, you know, definitely not a negative at all, but for us to um, have that consistently fielding two teams it is always going to be a bit of a problem for us. Yeah, um, I look, but, I, you know, it would be fantastic, yeah. My experience is in the country is, as you said, there's, there's university, there's work, so a lot of the the good players do get uh, drawn away from from the hometown, but yeah. it'd be nice for them to be able to <clears throat> stay stay in, and play in, in that yeah. team. But I understand why they can't and don't. Um, yeah. Now, you mentioned that the men's coach, um, he's very good. Um, you got any opinions on on your coach? Stephen Suddy, uh, he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, look, you just, you just unload the dirt on him now, that's it. <laughs> um, no, look, he's really, really good. Um, he's, he's very fair um, and he's very honest and, you know, sometimes um, we, we might not agree with what he's saying but um, we still have the respect there that we, we will take on what he says um, and, and apply, apply what he's saying to us to the best of our ability but um, look it's a really great group of girls and um, with Steve leading us um, it's just a fantastic dynamic so um, like I said this is the fourth year that Steve has been coaching us um, so yeah it's, it's been a great four years to be honest yeah you had to say that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing, worse, nothing worse than hearing the words you dropped. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, look, I, and I suppose that that's the other side of it, though, because you you are husband and wife, and and how how hard is that at times when when you're the player? Um, does does that dynamic um, come to the fore, or you you're able to separate the the game from from going home? And you know, I, I would imagine that a two hour drive in silence wouldn't be much fun. <laughs> Oh, there has been a couple of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, look, um, I don't know. We seem to, yeah, just, um, I don't, we're almost on the same wavelength when it comes to um, feedback on, you know, if I haven't performed, I understand and I acknowledge the things that I've done, you know, not to the best of my ability. Um, so there's never really any, there hasn't been any <laughs> there hasn't been any conflict or anything like that. So um, I think we're quite professional in our our approach like um, that. Yeah. So there hasn't been any dramas, and um, yeah, I do just see him as the coach when I'm down there. You know, at, like I'm a, one of the one of the girls. So yeah, um, there's definitely no favouritism or anything <laughs> like that. I still, I still cop it if I need to cop it, which is good. You know, but I'm just like one of the others so yeah, yeah I, I'm fine with it yeah I oh, know well, I knew you would be and it, he's a very good coach but you know sometimes that, those little dynamics do have a habit of, of popping up now and again yeah. Um, yeah. with generally speaking the women's leagues have younger players in them and I know you've got some very good young players who do you, you see in your side as, as being uh, players to watch well we've got um, seven 15 year olds this year which is Oof another record of ours um so very young a young squad um but you know they're all talented in their in their different ways so um i'm just looking forward to seeing how they do develop over the year um and what they can take and how they can apply themselves and you know we just want them to get better and better each week that's that's steve's ultimate goal um how we coach you know can we be a little bit better every time we play um so Definitely Lara Graham, she was at NTC. She played full-time NTC under 14, I think it was, under 30. Yeah. Um, and was an associate last year. She's definitely one to watch. Um, but along with her, you know, there are six other 15-year-olds that have, um, you know, definitely talent in their specific areas um, and just looking forward to how they all develop as a whole. And how much do you know about tomorrow night's opponents? Uh, well, UWA, we first them only once last year, um, and it was a tough game. Um, look, they're going to be fierce competitors, and we know that it will be a tough game, but we are up for the challenge. Um, and we understand that they've got a very attackive, um, aggressive attack, attackive style, where, mm-hmm. where they've got a very fast front through. Um, so they will try and cause us a lot of problems going forward. Um, but we've been working really hard, so hopefully we can keep them at bay and still play the way that we want to play. Mm. Mm. And, Nicole, you suffer a goalkeeper, if I'm correct. Um, you know, goalkeeper union here, just talking. But um, <laughs> how's the state of goalkeeping? Because I know um, at some clubs it can be a position that gets neglected um, and often not as well coached, especially through those junior levels. Do you have... Um, goalkeeper coaches down there at South West Phoenix that are kind of nurturing up your next levels? Yes, we do. Actually, we're very fortunate. We've got 
um, a couple of goalkeeper coaches. We've got one in Jamie Oki, he's the, um, actually the goalkeeper for the South West Phoenix men's team. He's very good. And he, um, yeah, so he's got a goalkeeping little program going um, for the young, the MPL goalkeepers. Um, and I've been working myself with another goalkeeper um, coach um, weekly. So I've been very fortunate um, to have him help me as well. Um, each week and just going through things and just perfecting a few things. So definitely very lucky um, with our club, South of Phoenix, yeah. Mm. Um, another thing, Nicole, do you, you play just for South West Phoenix or do you play for a, another club as well? There was, I think at the time there was some dual registration going on or do the seasons now forbid that from happening? Yeah, no, so um, sort of for us girls, we didn't have dual registration, but the men, um, Football West, did allow them last year for that to happen, just to get um, get the players and get numbers back on board. So, no, we've just predominantly, yes, if you're playing for South West Phoenix, you are only playing for South West Phoenix, yep. um, which is fine. Yeah, which is, that's what you, that's in our region, you know, that is the pathway. It should be seen as a pathway. Um so, you know, to get into South West Phoenix Firebirds, you know, that's the ultimate goal um, before, obviously, in the in the run, before you go off and hopefully play um, for high a higher division. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a, the local uh, league there is very strong as well, isn't it? Um, I haven't played in the local league for quite a few years now. Um, but, look, there are definitely some very good players um, in that, league and for reasons like work or travel you know they don't they don't um come and play you know for south west phoenix or um play in perth or for whatever reason um so yeah look there definitely are some very strong players in within the local competition for sure no definitely look i think it's a it's a great uh, area great growth area for for women's football and i know um, it's not just Bunbury, it's Bustleton, Dunsborough, Margaret River. Um, yeah. you know, Collie, there's just some you know, players from all over the, the area that are, are coming in. Um, I think it's great that South West Phoenix is the, the focus. Um, and I think you know, the women do it um, much, much better than the men have historically in people yeah. understanding where that all fits. But you need, for the regions, a representative side with people feeding in from all over. So, you know, it's, it's great to see who you are. And, and hopefully, as you said, both the men's and the women's will um, will top the league. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Hmm. Yeah, fingers crossed. We just keep doing um, the right things and, yeah, keep working hard and um, hopefully we get the results in the end. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Nicole, um, and best of luck tomorrow night. My pleasure and thank you so much. Talk to you later. You're welcome. Okay, Nicole Sutty, who is part of the South West Phoenix team, that will be competing tomorrow night in the final. Yep. And that's, um, where did we say it was again? Macedonia Park. Macedonia mm-hmm. Park. So, yeah, if you've got so. any interest in watching a good game of football, get yourself down Two there. games, in fact, because it's yeah. a doubleheader. Two games. So there, there you go, yeah. 5 o'clock for that one, and then 7.15 for Belcatter and Mum. Yeah, and I'll be commentating with Tommy Dolman on those ones. So Ooh, that should, look that, at you go. Yeah, Fantastic. my first ever commentating gig, so I'm quite excited You might excited as well get a trophy now whilst you're Talking of you, mm. um, we opened up earlier on about your um, scholarship with mm-hmm. the NTC Glory. Um, 
How's that actually work for you? I mean, it's a it's a great achievement to get that. Yeah, it's such a brilliant opportunity as a young player to be able to train in an environment like that. And I think um, it is a very young squad, and it's a squad that um, with players that I've known for a long time, as well as players that have come in and um new to the team, such as um, Lily Alfeld, who's the Kiwi keeper, who's yep. coming in had a great season so far, um, and Beck Bennett as well, who I've known for a while. Um, plays for Perth in the local MPL so us three keepers have got a, a good tight little knit group going on but um, yeah it should be really good and unfortunately the season hasn't gone exactly the way we planned um, but we do have one more game left tomorrow night against Melbourne Victory which yep. mm. should be a good game I think they have two games left um, and need two points to go into the finals so and they're also undefeated in their last six matches yes so not, not to, <laughs> we yeah. won't we won't <laughs> dwell too much on that but, but i think the girls will be very eager to go in and give yeah. one last good performance yeah but the the thing is i suppose you, you talk about give a good performance mm. in my opinion that's what they've done all yeah. season i mean they've been very very unfortunate a lot of the goals have been or the games have been decided by the odd goal as mm. it was on thursday mm. um you know, I, I think there's a lot of hope with this season. Mm. It's a very, very yeah. young squad, um, a new coach who's brought in some new players, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a little bit underdone. But at, at the same time, uh, but for a little bit of luck either way, there's games there that could have been won. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think um, that's the way it goes. I think there was a point in the season around, you know, the loss to Sydney, Newcastle and Brisbane that were all quite big numbers and that was... A turning point really where the team had to reflect a lot yep. on what we're doing wrong what can we change and then from that we had quite although we didn't you know get the results that we wanted there was quite a few runs of good performance there's the game against Canberra which was supposed to be our home game that ended up being <laughs> yep. our home game in Canberra yeah. um, but uh, yeah there was and then followed by the victory and the Melbourne City games which were both quite good performances and as you say it was just the odd goal that decided it yep. um, but yeah, I think there is a lot of hope in that squad with young players coming through um, and experienced players like Tash, who just brings such great energy. Oh, to Tash, the squad. Tash is just the ball of energy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just on women's sport as well, I don't know if you've seen the Matildas have announced two friendlies in Europe. So yes. there's oh. one game against Netherlands and one game against Germany, which is the 11th and the 14th of April. So it's the first look in international football we've had in a very long time, but yep. that will only involve European-based players. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of players such as Polkinghorne and Gilnick who have left um, Brisbane Raw early this season yep. That's to why. go and play in Europe yeah. yep. so they can be in contention for that game. So yep. it is disappointing. Um, I heard Angie Beard on the commentary in the W League game the other day saying it is disappointing for Australian-based players because you're not getting that look in and that opportunity. But at the same time, it is very good to have some international football back on the cards. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at how the, the Australians abroad are representing, I mean, none better than Sam Kerr, who mm. I think at the moment is currently sitting or ranked at second in the world, mm. Mm. which when you think about it, if, if they had an Australian male ranked as, as the second best footballer <laughs> in the planet, yeah. they'd be losing their minds over yeah. it. Uh, and Sam would just going, yeah, all right, whatever. But I don't think we make enough of it. Mm. You know, she is, and, and I, I hate using the word female footballer, I always use the word footballer. Mm. She is one of the most talented footballers on this planet yeah. and yeah. we don't recognise it. Yeah, no, and it's, you know, such a great thing to have come out of Perth because it just promotes so much for the women's game 
not only in Perth but all over Australia. When we've got someone like that to look up to yep. and acting as a role model, it's just brilliant. Yeah, but it's, it's not just her. You know, you've got Forge, you've got Carpenter. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so many women now that have left Australia who are, are leaders within their own clubs now. And these are not just small clubs. Mm. You know, we're talking... Um, Chelsea, Arsenal, mm-hmm. West Ham, mm-hmm. Madrid. You know, these, these are household names and, and we don't make enough of it. Mm. And I think, you know, looking at the competition levels they're exposed to, um, the World Cup is going to be a very exciting prospect for us. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I think even looking before that, um, we've got the Olympics hopefully coming up this year, yep. um, which should be good. I'm not sure on the status of that, if, if it's still going ahead oh, or not. I believe it is, but is with it? no spectators. Right. Okay. And the, the age limit, I don't know if they've got an age limit for women in the... No, not in the Olympics. women's no. so it's oh, the For the men, yeah, they've gone up one year yeah, as well because yeah. so the Olympics got delayed, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think... The Matildas might be in a little bit of trouble with goalkeepers at the moment because they've got a few... You're, trying to, you're trying to drop <laughs> just, a hint there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but uh, they've had a lot of injury runs at yeah. the moment. Um, you've got Lydia Williams, who's obviously um, holding her place and she's playing at Arsenal at the moment. But then yeah. Mackenzie Arnold has um, hurt a knee playing at yeah. West Ham. Tegan Mike has done her knee. And I think Casey Dumont's out injured. So you've got to go start... Going down the yeah, list you of start putting your well, hand it's, up shame, <laughs> it's a shame they're not looking in Australia then because Barbieri's still going quite well. Yeah, Barbieri's yeah. come back in. Yeah, um, and, and just reaching two kids. Well, yeah, forty-one is basically the peak for goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, so. that's what my Dave Ollie always used to say that as a goalkeeper, your mind peaks at the age that your body no longer does what it tells you to do anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but she's been doing brilliant. She's still got a, a lot of spring in her and she's been doing great and it's great to have... She's been taking on the assistant coach role there at Melbourne yeah. City as well, which is, you know, great to have someone that can be on the park and off the park be a leader for them. Yeah, so going back to, to you and, and your you know, your trajectory though, because you, you are in the young Matildas, mm. um, you're, you're in the, the glory training squad with the scholarship. Um, so obviously you're very much driven towards a, a professional career in football. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I'm moving over in a few weeks over to Sydney um, to pursue that. And I think, you know, sometimes it's what you have to do. You have to pack up and leave, especially when you live in Perth, which is quite far away from everything. But really, really excited um, about that. And well, haven't quite started packing yet, but <laughs> yeah. I've started making my list and that should be good. I'll be going over playing with the Future Matildas training program over there, which is a great program. It's only recently um, come to light, but I think maybe four or five years in the running. And um, it initially was supposed to be bridging the gap between the young Matildas and the first team. So that age of range of maybe 17 to 25, where a lot of players are falling through the cracks. But at the moment, it's kind of been um, transformed into a program where it's a training environment for you know, under 17s players um, or under 18s players. Um, so I'll be moving over there, living with a host family. Hannah Lowry is going to be coming with me as well. Um, and it should be a really great opportunity to, you know, get your name out there, play some top quality football. And in the um, NPL over there, yes. they've got massive amounts of W League players in that competition. So yep. it will be a really high level and just great to challenge myself. Absolutely, and I think the other thing is though that as a as a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. you you look at people like Melissa, yeah. who at forty one is still playing, um, and we've had goalkeepers who had to leave here and go to Queensland to to get a, a position mm. on the park, um, and as much as he's a great goalkeeper, <laughs> it would have been nice to have seen a, a WA uh, woman playing in goals for the glory. Yeah, um, I think um, a lot of coaches 
tend to go with um, players that are older and more experienced as a goalkeeper because yeah. you know that it is such a important position that one mistake can lead to a goal. So yeah. it is important that you do have that cool head mm. and to be Lily has been absolutely brilliant this season, but oh, yeah. not, it's probably almost been as good her playing for my development as if I was playing because you know she's come in and she's taught me so much at training and mm. I just try and soak up everything I can learn up. For oh, her. look, it's a fantastic mm. opportunity to be with someone that's a very good and developed pro, mm. um, and it helps. She's a nice lady as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, these are the things that you, you need for your your development. Mm. But also, um, I've never seen anyone get better by been on the bench so no. you know it's it's just about that balance when we're talking to Ruben about opportunity yeah. mm. so you know it's about getting opportunity um, yeah we've got a goalkeeper at the glory who's made a very good career out of being a backup <laughs> goalkeeper and yeah. no but I'd like to have seen him as a starting goalkeeper yeah. and, and that's you know everyone wants to be there obviously you're driven towards a, a career and, and you know with everything lines up mm-hmm. you'll make it yeah it should be great that's the goal you just got to keep ticking away hey? absolutely yeah. now look you've done a fantastic job today on on the deck as well <laughs> now flawless performance so you've done well there um pete as always quality thank you for being on no problem um penny will be back next week mm-hmm. with oh no sorry we're off aren't we for easter yeah yeah no, no, i'll be back in off. two weeks okay yeah, so there we go. Yeah, little did I know. <laughs> no, look, great. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back to do it all again in a fortnight. Lenny is coming in for the jazz show after the outro. Uh, this has been the World Football Programme. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in a fortnight. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.